Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined, as per usual, unless he's holidaying overseas, by my colleague Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. Look, hi, Peter. I thought you uh, might start the intro by saying we've got a golden show coming up. Uh, Well, I've got something better than that. We've got a show based on gold and goals. Gold in, in terms of... Is it the right time? And how do you invest in gold? Then a, a subject really important to all of us, our health goals, and then saving goals. If you've got a goal to go somewhere, can we help you get that money together? That's better than yours, I think. I think, I think gold and goals, it's hard to say together, actually, <laughs> it's to, yeah. is, uh, is better than just a gold show. Yeah. So congratulations on uh, out-trumping me there. <laughs> I haven't got Trump into the conversation. I've never used out-trump in my life. That's a good line, out-trumping. But just, I'll tell you something, yeah. gold, I've never, uh, I've never been a huge gold fan, but no. uh, it's in the news a lot, and I think we need to, as investors... Yeah. Uh, an allocation to gold does make some sense, and I think that's what we're going to find out about today. Yeah. But on a, going to the health retreat, have mm. you ever been to a health retreat? I actually have been to one, but it wasn't one of those ones where it was really hard. It was like soft. It even allowed you to drink wine and the food. You allowed to drink wine? It <laughs> <laughs> was the health retreat you have to have when you're not really having a health retreat. I won't name them, but it was fun. But the one we're going to be talking about today is quite famous. In the old days, it was called Camp Eden. It's nowadays called uh, the Eden Health Retreat. But, yeah, it's, it is – I know a lot of people have been there and they come out the other side thinking that was a really valuable experience. And, of course, our final guest is about a, a saving app, effectively called Nudge, and I'm – Really looking forward to, to understanding how it works. And maybe nudge you in the right direction around your own personal <laughs> yeah, saving. Yeah, I'll pay that one. Yeah, I, I reckon I, I, uh, I think you won, but I uh, came a close second. Yeah, on a couple, you yeah? nearly out-trumped me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the gold price has been on the rise, and a lot of people are asking me, I've got to say, and probably asking you as well, Paul, uh, should I be going long gold? Uh, this little podcast today, we're going to be talking to uh, Jordan Alicio from Perth Mint and Chad Heatsman from ETF Securities. These guys play in the gold space and they know more about gold than most people. So let's get them together and ask them a few questions. So take it away. Uh, Jordan, because you're at Perth Mint, uh, well known for gold, what is the outlook for gold at the moment? Well, look, it's been a, a fantastic year uh, in the, the sort of 12 months to October. Gold price in Australian dollars is up over well, approximately 30% um, and went across a, a pretty important milestone and it crossed Australian dollar $2,000, $2,000 an ounce for the first time ever, um, which obviously got a lot of press and a lot of attention. So there's been quite a significant uptick in demand over the last 12 months already. Uh, in terms of the outlook for the, the medium to long term, I still think it's positive and, and prices are likely bias to the upside uh, for as long as we remain in this low to negative real rate world. Uh, I think you're going to see investors allocate a little bit of capital towards gold and, and that's supportive of, of higher prices over the medium to long term. Just, um, we talked about interest rates where you were mentioning this low interest rate environment. How does sort of the price of gold work with interest rates? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, the the number one question we get asked all the time is is that relationship, and obviously gold's a non-income producing asset. So, whenever interest rates rise or, or they look like rising, um, you can see a bit of pressure come onto the gold price because investors say, well, you know, there's an opportunity cost of holding this non-income producing asset. As rates come down, and as I said before, they're they're effectively negative in real terms now. That opportunity cost is either significantly reduced or completely eliminated. And that just makes the sort of long-term capital growth of gold more attractive to to investors, and that's why we've seen such an uptick in demand uh, in the last in the last 12 months. I'm not sure about Chad's figures, but at the Perth Min as an example, um, the number of clients that have been opening accounts with us directly uh, has essentially doubled in the last 12 months, and and our ASX listed product has seen uh, the total number of ounces that back that product, the the, the investment into it grow by about 45% in the last year. So it's a very significant increase. So, so rates going up is bad for gold, rates going down is good for gold, but there are other factors that also drive the gold price apart from interest rates. Do you want to just sure. perhaps comment on those, Chad? Sure, um, but just quickly on the interest rate story, there's actually interesting research where the association between, let's say, quarter point decrease or increase uh, Fed funds rate in the gold price is quite strong. So if there's a quarter point decrease Historically, over the past decade, there's been an associated $75 to $80 increase in gold, just to put that into context more concretely. Um, currently, apart from real rates and what they're doing, trade. So trade, I suspect, is uh, another key mover. Um, Morgan, JP Morgan, the research, they rebased higher for gold on the basis of the real rate story, but also on the trade story. So if it's the case that trade continues down the route that it is, and there isn't a reverse course by the Trump administration to remove tariffs, um, I think that's supportive of, of gold into the future. Um, so research, uh, independent research, um, from Citi to J.P. Morgan, certainly bullish for 2020. Um, so J.P. Morgan sees it about 1780 year end, Q4, 2020. And where is it now? Yep. Where is it now? Is it seventeen eighty? So for people who are listening, room to grow, room yeah. to grow. Yeah, yeah. that's around fifteen hundred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're yeah. talking U.S. dollar terms. U.S. Yeah. dollar terms. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Well, it's good, for, good for people to understand where. Yeah. It's, you know, yep. Yeah. Yep. So if if those two things, if there's synchronized rate decreases by central banks, and the trade dispute continues, and Trump's attempt to reorganize, renegotiate the relationship and having more reciprocity from the Chinese side and allowing market access to U.S. multinationals, uh, intellectual property, if that's resolved, um, then you could see a pullback in, in, in the gold price. But if, if that's not resolved, I think it's important. So in simple terms, the more afraid we are about the economic outlook linked to things like Tends trade or yeah. geopolitical issues, gold price up, if we become comfortable that things aren't going badly and maybe the economy is doing well and interest rates could rise, gold price could fall. Correct. I think that's, I think that's a pretty accurate, in, especially in the short term. Um, although I think it's important, one, one characteristic that probably doesn't get spoken about enough with gold, because it's so well known as a hedge and a safe haven yeah. asset, yeah. is actually it's a very good performer over the long run. So if you go back to you know the start of the 1970s when, you know, I mean, effectively... Pre-1971, gold and money were, you know, effectively interchangeable and formally linked. From 1971 to, you know, 2019, in Australian dollar terms, the, the gold price has risen by, on average, 9% per annum. That's the sort of long-term capital growth. Mm. Now, we obviously haven't permanently been in periods of fear or recession. We've actually seen, you know, incredible prosperity generated over that, call it, 50-year period. Mm. 
and and gold has risen alongside that prosperity, not not sort of fallen away. So um, I think it really comes into its own as an asset in more uh, sort of risk conscious times, and as, and as investors do get a little more fearful. Right. But you know, gold is not just a fear story, if that makes sense. I yeah, think. It's not a fear story. I would agree with that. Yeah. I, from our side at ETF Securities, what I'll say is, um, yes, it's certainly driven by sentiment, um, but we speak about it in the context of asset allocation. Um, it's a good diversifier, low cost, liquid diversifier. Um, and setting it alongside equities, property, and fixed income, it tends to improve the quality of your return. Um, so you're basically getting less risk for more return with the incorporation of gold into your portfolio. Well, on that subject, um, and you've kind of implied that gold, ha gold has over time had a capacity to creep up in value like a, a lot of other assets. Um, what about the, the fact that the two most populated countries of the world, China and India, have some sort of cultural addiction to gold. Has that helped the gold price as well, do you think, guys? I think so, definitely. I think from those two countries, emerging markets in particular, because they have a memory of the Asian financial crisis, so they certainly use gold as a hedge versus their own currencies. But also, just culturally speaking, too, there's a story to be told there, and, and a lot of demand comes from those two countries. Because they're growing economies, and Rising as income grows, that, those families like to have gold. That's right. they, and, they're, and they're unlike large parts of the developed world, they're very good savers. They save 20 30% of their income. Um, and as Chad pointed out, the saving in local currency has never been a, a particularly um, safe thing to do or, or something that's protected purchasing power. So saving in gold has, has proved a far better bet. And there's actually also an interesting story there in that um, if you look at the sort of breakdown of gold demand, Roughly half of it is in jewellery, and then the other half is in sort of bars, coins, investment products. A little bit goes into industry. Uh, but that jewellery demand, particularly in large parts of, of Asia, is it's quasi-investment demand as well. So it's it's gold held in, in jewellery form, but it is actually being... Let me wear my wealth. Exactly right. Yeah, and, and I mean, you're, it looks like you're wearing a gold ring as well there, Peter. So yeah. there's, there's a reason why we wear gold as jewellery. It is a way of displaying our wealth and our prosperity to the broader community, to our families and you name it. So that's um, a very strong trend and, and as over the last 15, 20 years in particular, as real incomes in China and India have grown, the correlation with rising gold demand is, is very strong. Why don't we move on now to sort of talk about how you can invest in gold and I guess it will then come to sort of allocation issues as well. But let's go through the different ways to invest. So obviously you can buy Physical gold, just tell me how that works, Jordan. Yeah, so buying physical gold, you know, it's as simple as opening an account, registering with, with the Perth Mint, um, and the Mint can either, you can either come and pick it up from the Perth Mint if you want, or we can ship it really anywhere in the world. The Mint distributes uh, physical precious metal products to over 100 countries. Um, what, what, what are most sort of, you know, um, private investors do when the, if they have physical gold? Depends what kind of investor you're talking about. So if it's somebody, um, so... If, if it's someone from China or Indian background, they, they will actually probably still prefer to buy and take possession of a physical item. If it's a you know, self-managed super fund uh, investor, they will tend to either buy a listed product, so something on the ASX, like a product that we have and obviously uh, Chad and ETF Securities have, or they will actually use what we call our depository service. So they're not just buying from us, we custody the gold, provide valuations, okay. insurance. So they don't, they don't take it home, get correct. it shipped in the mail. Yeah, they correct. Leave, leave it with you in your vault and 
That's street, right. Whatever you call it. That's right. Bank. So, yeah, there, there's still a, a large portion of retail investors that buy physical bars and coins and take them, but your SMSF trustee, your financial planners, your intermediaries, family office-style investor will all do you know, the, the listed product or, or depository. So if they did take it, they'd need to think about transport and insurance. Correct. And you just can't sort of leave it under the bed. Well, I guess you can, but, I mean, that wouldn't be a particularly strategy. Some investors strategy, are right? interesting and they... Um they see gold uh, in the context of, I don't know, apocalypse, so to speak, worst case scenarios. And therefore, I guess they like to have it very intimately close to them. Right. But, but a self-managed super fund, most of those people would actually leave it in, the, in, a, in, the, in your vault? Correct. If they took it out, they'd have to get insurance. That, That's, right. Required That's right. That's right. And what you find, and in fact, I was having conversation with some, um, uh, I suppose, contacts in the financial services industry just last week where... Within their investment portfolios, they're using the ETF and, the, and our depository solutions, but with a little bit of their sort of side capital, as it were, you know, they're buying a few small bars and coins and that because they, they like having, you know, there's a, there's a physical tangibility that's attractive about precious metals. Um, but as I say, with the, let's call it their investment capital, it, it tends to stick in the listed products. I, I, I was amazed when you came in here before and you actually brought in a gold bar. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it was only a kilo bar, I think, at the time, just how... How, I won't say how heavy it was, it weighed a kilo. They get but really heavy. Sure. how dense it is, right? Sure, yeah. They get really staggering. But uh, anyhow, so the, talk about ETFs, maybe, uh, Chad, just talk sure. about the ETF that you have. Sure. Um, a bit of background about ETF securities first. I won't take it for granted that the listeners are entirely familiar with us, but I'm, I'm sure they're familiar with GOLD, which is the ticker for the uh, gold product. So we originated the world's so that's first... G-O-L-D? Is precisely, G-O-L-D. So on the ASX, you type in G-O-L-D and that's... That's it. Yep. A, a ticker like a stock, you punch it in on any platform, it, it appears. Um, in 2003, we originated the world's first gold ETF, physically backed. But not just physically backed, um, the key distinguishing difference is that uh, when you hold a G-O-L-D unit, you actually own the underlying. So there's an immediate interest in the gold. So talk about tangibility. Um, so I give you a million dollars, you buy a million dollars worth of gold. Absolutely. Yeah. So every time we issue units onto the exchange, units of GOLD, there needs to be a corresponding uh, purchase of gold moved into the vault. Um, our custodian is HSBC, so all the, the gold is vaulted there. The vault is audited twice a year. Uh, we have a, a bar list as well. Um, on our website that shows every individual bar in our segregated allocated account. Um, so we wanted to make sure uh, that investors actually had that tangibility aspect because we knew uh, otherwise you could just go use a futures contract. But most people like to have the underlying and own it. So that's what we did. And, and uh, Jordan, you've also got an ETF? Yeah, that's right. So the, the ticket code's similar, but it's got PM for Perth Mint in front, right. so PMGOLD. Um, and was also launched back in, well, just over 15 years ago. Um, so I think the ETF security guys um, just just beat us to the punch. But I think it's actually a really great story that, um, you know, Australia has such a, a proud history as a gold producer. Um, we're, we're still the second largest producer in the world. And to see that the, the real genesis of the gold ETF market globally started here in Australia mm. with ETF securities in the Perth Mint is, is fantastic. Um, so our product... Uh, the gold, obviously we have the uh, an advantage in the gold space because we refine so much of it and already store so much of it. Um, so we custody the gold for our clients ourselves, um, sitting in, in vaults in Perth. 
And I suppose the unique selling feature for, for our product, uh, there, there are two. One, it has a very low MER, so it's just 0.15%. Um, and last but not least is, is the fact that the Perth Mint is owned by the Western Australian Government and all deposits of, of gold stored with the Perth Mint are effectively backed by a government guarantee on those holdings. So, and, and when an investor comes up to you and says, look, do I buy an ETF or buy the physical gold, what do you, what do you say? That's an interesting that? thing because if... If the investor actually wants the physical one to say, put it under their bed or what have you, they're gonna encounter the problem when they want to dispense of the gold, if they wish to do so, that they have to find a buyer, yeah. that they have to uh, verify its purity again. Whereas if you did an ETF GOLD, you go on the exchange and immediately there's the tradability aspect. And furthermore, you know the underlying gold is up to the London Bullion Market Association's purity level of 99.5%. So that's uh, very convenient for them. So there could be some, I won't say hidden costs, but if you, if, you t if you decide to get the gold and you take it home, there could be some issues. That's there. right. Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's a really interesting point and, and it's accurate what, what Chad says. And it's almost, there's a difference between wanting to buy gold and wanting to invest in gold. So if you want to buy gold and just store it because you're going to give it to your kids or, you know, just because you, you like the idea of having this, you know, beautiful, physical, tangible asset, then buying it and taking it home is, is probably no problem. If you want to invest in gold, where then liquidity, ability to sell easily, ongoing valuations, all of those things become a factor, then again, almost certainly you're going to go for an exchange-traded product or, or a direct depository offering where the gold actually stays with a specialist custodian like the Perth Mint, in, in Chad's case, HSBC, um, and then you sort of, you, you don't lose any of those characteristics like liquidity and that that, that are it. important. Yes. Well, look, talk us through a situation. Someone does buy a bar, they do hide it under the bed, albeit in a, in a, a, <laughs> a very safe place under the bed. Put it on the floor. Uh, <laughs> and they th then decide, look, we need money and, and the gold price has gone up. Do, who, who do they go to? And there's so, and someone say, well, the spot price is currently three thousand, but I'll give you two thousand eight hundred. Correct. Like it's sod off. Yeah. Is that is that the basic the situation you're in? It's I I suppose it's a bit stickier than it would be if you had the GOLD ETF mm -hmm. and you could just hop on Comsec or what whatever platform that you're utilizing. Yeah. So I think I think it's it's actually not as hard to sell in that environment because there are bullion dealers all around the country. And, and, and they're authorised, the aren't they? They're, they're, they're licensed. But or they don't have the, to pay the, a yeah, set price, do the they? Perth, the Perth Mint has authorised yeah. distributors that are at right. points, you know, here in Sydney and um, around the country, around the world. Um, but certainly there is a there is a sacrifice of liquidity the minute you move the gold outside of a recognised custodian. So, to, again, and, and just reiterating what Chad's saying, really, that, yes, if you own it via the exchange-traded product or if you, know, if you own it, our depository direct clients, mm -hmm. they can just log on to the Perth Mint 24 hours a day and there's a, a live buy and sell price being offered there. So, you know, it could be 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. um, you decide, you know what, gold price is moving up, I want to buy, or I own gold and gold price has moved up and I want to sell and take a profit. Yeah, that bottle of Grange told me that. that, yes. that, that that's right, yeah. If you pick a winner tonight in the Melbourne Cup and today and want to put some savings in gold, you, you, you know, it is much easier to do it if you've got the, the depository product or the, the, the listed product in, in that sense to, to trade both ways. But um, I think what we're trying to do at ETF Securities, and we've been trying to do it, is um, simply because you have the, the geo the unit, um, there's no disconnect between it and actually owning bullion. Mm. Um, it's not a paper gold uh, product. Uh, it's physical, and you have an immediate entitlement to that gold.
it was important for us I, to I think it's actually, if I, if I can jump in there as well, there's an important thing there where a lot of people think gold is expensive to trade. Um, but if you look at the proliferation of gold ETFs around the world, some have actually tried to use futures because they thought, you know, actually we'll be able to do it at a lower cost for the investor. It doesn't work that way for a, a, a longer term holder. That's right. You are far better buying either the direct product or, a, or a, an ETF that is backed by the real gold. Um, you'll get lower cost, you get lower tracking error, you actually have title to gold, all those things which are important. Um, so, yeah, it's... A, it's I, I think we, we should finish off by pointing out to people that there are other gold ETFs which aren't backed by gold. Correct. And so how does someone differentiate? There's, there, there's even more of a critical distinction because most are backed by gold, but the key difference hinges on whether or not the gold is held in an allocated versus an unallocated account. So if, if you have an unallocated account, it means that the investor doesn't have an immediate ownership over the gold. It's paper gold. So, so if there's a stock market crash or something like that, it might be harder to get your money out. Perhaps, but it, it's something like um, when you put your money in a bank and they have a fractional reserve system. So uh, the deposits that they have don't necessarily correlate with their reserves on hand. They might have less reserves than their overall deposits. So if you have a, a, a gold fund and an unallocated account, it could be the same thing. Um. Right. Well, that sort of uh, covers the unallocated part. I mean, finally, just to, I think, Peter, we've talked about um, why gold and where you think it could be heading. Just um, in the immediate future, I mean, in terms of, and, and thinking about portfolios, I mean, the question we get from people is, uh, if they're interested in gold, you said it was good for potentially long-term growth. I mean, have an SMS portfolio, what do you sort of see typically the allocation being to gold? I love that question. That's a fantastic you question. You can't say 100%, 100%, by the way. 100%. No, <laughs> no not, not 100%. Um, Jordan and I would like to say yeah. 100%. No, no, no. No, but, um, no it's, it's interesting because I, I try to scour as much content and research on this as I, I can um, to be as impartial as possible. And I've seen it range from 2%, 5%, and 10%. Two percent is that what you see as well? Yeah, I think I think at the institutional level that that sounds about right. And depending on what kind of um, you know whether it's a sort of conservative through to a you know a high growth institutional fund, I think it can be a little bit different with a you know to your point, Paul, a, a sort of self directed investor. Um, let's talk you know your SMSF with a million dollar portfolio. And the reason I say that is that as a general rule, uh, there will be certain asset classes that are probably beyond their. Um, you know, they don't probably want to hold private equity or unlisted infrastructure or a whole range of asset classes that institutional investors can own. Um, so as an alternative, gold really comes into its own for, for sort of self-directed investors. And I'm an SMSF trustee myself. Um, but I certainly think, um, you know, without giving advice, which we, we can't do, no, we uh, as, a, as a starting point, that kind of 5 to 10 um, you know, percent allocation is a good place for people to be thinking about. And, you know, in the environment we're in where, where interest rates are very low and SMSFs tend to have a lot of money sitting in cash, in the environment we're in where, you know, equity markets have now been rising for the better part of 10 years and gold has proved to be such an effective hedge when, when equity markets fall, uh, there, is, there are some demonstrable benefits to, to holding gold as part of a portfolio. And that's it. The, the weighting, um, and, and it really hinges on its ability, uh, gold's ability to hedge against equities. Um, and they move in, in inverse opposite direction. 
And the more it does that, the higher you can weight it and the better your quality of return usually. Well, thanks, guys. Great Thank conversation. Thank that you was Julian Alessio from the Perth Mint and Chad Heatson from ETF Securities. Paul, we always do an ad for my book, and I'm getting a little bit, I feel a bit embarrassed the fact that I'm plugging my book all the time, but I do care about all our listeners, and the book is, has been designed to make people rich. Is yep, there wrong and, with that? And we shouldn't uh, shy away from that, Peter, because. Uh, as that old saying goes, you know, um, what's it, rich I've or poor? Been, I've been rich. I've been poor. Rich is better. You know who said that first? The uh, comedian. I don't, I don't know if you can say comedian anymore. It's, it might be sexist. The comedian Sophie Tucker said that first. I think it's a great line. I, I've never thought of comedian as having a, uh, a gender, yeah, being gender is. specific. But, yeah, uh, there is. Yeah. Comedian. Oh, a, no. a, a, it's either E-L-N-E or A-L-N-E. I think it's E-L-N-E. Anyway, but they've dropped it. All comedians are just comedians. Um, it's a bit like chairman. Well, chairman is gender specific, but that look, we're getting away from okay, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. about the, the book. <laughs> That's right. And also, um, um, I tell you, who stole that line and never gave credit to it was Billy Connolly. He did an ad for ING many years ago where he actually used those lines. And I was very surprised he didn't credit her like I credit Sophie Tucker. Anyway, the book is called Join the Rich Club. Its price is twenty four ninety five, and where can you buy this book? You book? can get it from switzerstore.com.au, switzerstore.com.au. And eventually it will be in all good and bad bookstores. <laughs> okay. So, have you uh, ever heard someone has got, had their books in a bad bookstore? I'm sure they have, yeah. In fact, I've never seen my books discounted, but I'm sure they have. You know, when the GST, my first book, not my first, but my bestseller was GST, Your Questions and Answers, sold over 130,000 copies. I reckon five or six years down the track, it was in some bad bookstore <laughs> at probably $2.25. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. or something, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. how you really insult someone and say, I saw your book today. It was on sale for $2. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I said that to Graham Richardson. You know that book, um, mm-hmm. it was called um, Whatever It Takes? I found it in a Salvo bookstore for $5. I had to buy it. I had to buy it. I love Richard. If there's one thing we all need is an opportunity to improve our health. And I think it's a pretty good idea if you do it on a holiday. And one place where you can do it is a place called Eden Health Retreat, which in the old days was called Camp Eden. And it was mainly for tough men and women to go go there to sort out their health. Joining us now is Chris Van Hooth from Eden Health Retreat. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Hey, no problem. It's nice to be here. Um, tell us about uh, Camp Eden. Well, sorry, Eden Health Retreat. Yeah, you're right. We've, uh, we've, we're not, no longer Camp Eden. We're, we're a, um, a beautiful property up in the Crumman Valley, 25 minutes from the Gold Coast Airport, 400 acres of subtropical rainforest with 28 luxury cabins. And uh, essentially we offer retreats where people can come and sort of detach from whatever the normality is for them and um, and enjoy a bit of space to, to reconnect with themselves and focus on their health. Do you find that one of your main functions is to challenge a person about the way they live their life? You know, I'm sitting here opposite my colleague, Paul Ricard, who's you know, a natural-born cynic and he, you know, he like most you know, ex Senior bankers, they know everything, but when they go, to, but when they go, and I know I'm probably just like him myself. I've got to say, though I haven't been a senior banker. Um, the bottom line is, we think we do everything right, but your job is to actually convince us 
that we need to do things a lot better than we currently are. How easy well, is it to challenge people? To be honest with you, it, it's a lot easier than it seems. Um, one of the main things that people get when they come to Eden is, is they get to disconnect from the outside world. We're not not uh, really in the, in the crosshairs of Telstra and Optus too much. The, the service is limited out there. So even just that small step of disconnecting with their phones and emails and social media and whatnot, it allows them to focus on themselves and recognise how great they can feel when they do a little bit more movement or eat a little healthier. Um, it's certainly not a tough tough week and it's not a tough argument to, to win that one. So um, as, as a sort of banker who sort of needs to understand what I'd be doing <laughs> during the day, I, I sort of get the idea about eating a little more healthier. Yeah. What, do, what do people do on a, on a, on a health retreat? Well, it's at, at Eden, we leave it completely up to the individual. So we have a full program that runs from the moment you wake up in the morning through to the, the time that you head to bed. Um, you can do as little or as much as you like. And to be honest with you, looking at the normality or the, or the normal way in which people go and retreat, they'll have some days where they're ready to run through a brick wall and they do all of the gym activities and they'll push walks and they really get involved in the group. And then there'll be other days where their body just needs to, to reset or to, or to kick back and relax. So we offer massages and different therapies as well as you know plenty of shady trees to go and lie under we've got a beautiful pool that people kick back and read by it it really is up to the individual so if they just want to lie around the pool or just read the book they can do that but you're saying they can also get really get into all the exercise and uh and change their lives change their lives is that sort of the the, the world's that, your oyster on a, on a health retreat is that sort the, of the way the world's your oyster yeah. absolutely there's no um you can click your fingers as much as you like when you buy the pool, but there's no poolside uh, cocktail service or anything right. like that. So I guess we're, we're, we're implementing a little bit of health there. But, yeah, it is completely up to the individual. Sometimes people come literally just to disconnect. Sometimes people have a goal in mind in terms of being more active or understanding food a little bit better. Um, there's also the, you know, the, the spirituality or the therapeutic element of it as well where people will book in for several massages or see an acupuncture to, to relieve a soft tissue injury. Chris, have you been able to work out the impact that you actually have on people? Like, I know my wife went there, she came back, and guess who's eating more like a vegetarian? <laughs> Me. And, and every time I, I do, I, I kind of blame but thank you at the same time because I am actually feeling a lot better. And poor Rico would be happy too because he's a business partner of me. This guy's probably going to keep me alive longer as well. But do, yeah, but do so you send Maureen off to the health retreat? That's right. going to keep me alive. But I guess the, the the bottom line is, have you had that kind of feedback where you, you're able to estimate whether you, you do have actually a significant impact on a percentage of the people who who go there and discover stuff they just didn't know about food and, and better balance and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, look, we're very fortunate. I've got an amazing team of therapists and practitioners up here, and um, we're regularly getting feedback every week after people check out. I'll get you know several emails. Thank you so much. They'll they'll mention specific things that they've achieved during their stay here. Um, <laughs> I don't think you're the only husband who's eating more vegetables. <laughs> put it that way. You're not alone in that. But yeah, um, yeah we do get regular feedback about yeah you know, little lifestyle changes that they make, and we get a lot of return visits as well. So people. Usually, um, they'll come, you know, once every six months or once every 12 months just as a bit of a reset. So it's and, nice to see that. And typically, Chris, is it a, 
sort of a place you go to for a week or a couple of weeks or a weekend? Just tell me what sort of average stay. And yeah. Uh, At the moment, we're specialising in six-night stays. So everyone right. checks in on a Sunday mm-hmm. and they check out on a Saturday. The one thing that um, is really unique about it is that you stay with that group the whole way through. So every, each and every week there'll be a different demographic of people who come from various corners of the world. And by the end of the week, they've all, you know, achieved something as individuals, but I guess shared that with the group, which is actually really nice. And, and do, they, the, do they develop some group bonds or is it, is it important to be part of that group? Is that why you do it? Uh, what we do, we, we found that shorter stays can be not long enough for people to completely disconnect. Mm-hmm. And so giving yourself that week is a really important thing. Um, but we've also found that, yeah, absolutely, they do share bonds. Sometimes they'll f- find friends that they'll then return again within 12 months' time. Um, there's often a, a WhatsApp group or a, or a Facebook group, or group that's um, you know started off the back of a retreat where friends will stay in touch or keep each other motivated for, for keeping up the lifestyle or the changes that they do want to implement when they return back to you know, whatever normality is. And, and I guess from, from my point of view, and this is an indirect effect, is that the stuff that you, you teach um, there as a consequence, uh, the knowledge and the changes that, you know, the things that you discover means that you actually do eventually implement uh, a changes in your life. And I guess that's a very um, long-lasting impact of an experience at um, uh, Eden Health Retreat. Yeah, and it's not, it's not so much just the learning, it's also the feeling, Peter. Um, you know, we certainly get some people who turn up on a Sunday and they think that they're, we tell them that there's no, no caffeine and no sugar and, you know, healthy food and they think that they've gone to prison for a week. <laughs> but by the end of the week, the comments are, I never knew I could feel this good. Jeez, I feel amazing. I've got so much more energy. I'm, I'm sleeping well. Yeah. Um, I'm a lot more relaxed. I'm not as wired. And so when they have that feeling at the end of the retreat, it's not so much about the content that they've learned as it is as much about the, the feeling that they want to maintain. Yep, very, very good. I think the best way of changing a person is actually showing them they can feel differently as a consequence of changing their lifestyle. Chris, uh, thanks for joining us on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That's Chris Van Hooth um, from Eden Health Retreat. Yeah, Paul, I think it's high time we actually gave some promotion for the Switzer Report, don't you? Well, that's our core publication, Peter, and we've got uh, thousands of uh, subscribers uh, who get a copy of the Switzer Report three days a week, Monday, Thursday and Saturdays. Mm. And we have you know, experts from uh, Charlie Aitken, Tony Featherston, James Dunn. They've all been with us for a number of years. Mm. They're fantastic in terms of their views on the markets, but a lot of uh, ad hoc uh, experts as well, people like Percy Allen and uh, some of the super experts, and then we get into the fixed interest stocks. Yeah. Uh, and our idea is to make, uh, make it a little easier for you as an investor, give you some ideas about how you can manage your portfolio. I think yeah. that's, uh, that's really what we, we, we're trying to do. Yeah, and, and also we... Put in all the best videos of the week on, on the Saturday report, and, and that means you get a chance to see some of the tips from people like Julia Lee and Michael McCarthy, mm-hmm. Rudy Philippek Van Dyke, and all three of them have come up with some very good tips in recent times. And my view is this, Paul, if you're trying to build your money in the stock market, I would be a subscriber to a whole lot of newsletters out there because particularly if you found like one stock in particular was being supported by three or four different newsletters and three or four different uh, experts, it's a pretty good chance that stock's going to head in the right direction. So that's the Switzer Report, which you can get from our website. Switzerreport.com.au. Yeah. 
and I think it's only $397 a year. Is, I, mean, I guess tax deductible in some circumstances. It would be tax deductible for some investors. So yeah. uh, switzerreport.com.au. Now, we're always in the market to look for new and interesting financial products, and we come across one called Nudge, and we have the uh, CEO of Nudge, Andrew Wilson, in the studio with us. Andrew, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Peter. So tell us about Nudge. Okay, so the intro to your show, as your listeners will be well aware, says the man who makes getting rich as easy as racking up a credit card bill. <laughs> uh, we say something similar. We say we're, we may not save the world, but we'll help the world save. Right? And mm-hmm. the problem is the saving experience has been made difficult. So if you look at current trends, we're moving towards a cashless society. And we all know that people spend more when it's not in cash. There's a big data world out there that marketers and advertisers can use to target you more persuasively than ever before. They sometimes know more about you than you know about yourself. And our brains are being wired towards impulsivity uh, by social media. So it's those regular dopamine hits, it's new, it's fresh, it's instant gratification. And we're saying, what chance does the young consumer have in today's world to to take control of their uh, financial life and not be pinballed through by the choices that others make for them? And we think the answer is nudge. Okay. So I guess, Paul, I'm both thinking, well, how does Nudge work? It's a fantastic goal. How do you do it? Okay, so Nudge, as you may be aware, relies on the principle of behavioural economics. It's the idea of slowly moving people towards things that are in their own best interests. So what we do is you download the app, you tell us what you're saving for and the duration of time until you're aiming to reach that goal. So let's say I'm saving for a trip to Switzerland in 2020. Mm -hmm. So I know that I need to save $5,000 for the trip, I know that I have, say, a year to do that, Mm. and I input that as a goal, and then we use that knowledge to coach you uh, with impulse savings prompts. So you'll be going about your day, and instead of getting a sales offer pop up on your phone that steers you away from your goals, you get an impulse savings prompt that says, hey, Peter, you've been nudged. Do you want to save $17 towards your trip to Switzerland now? And when you say yes, we will pull the money from your transaction account and park it in your nudge savings account. And for a bit of instant gratification, you will see we cover your goal image with tiles. And and the moment you accept a prompt, we remove a proportionate number of tiles. So it materialises before your eyes. So we think that the the image of your goal is more emotive uh, than a number. And a number is just a proxy for what you're saving for. And uh, is Nudge, um, I mean... Probably not a big, such a big an issue necessarily for some of the millennials, but is it, is it a bank or an authorised deposit-taking institution? Uh, it's not, but the funds are held with an authorised deposit-taking institution. Right. So we don't hold those funds, but we hold them on behalf of users. With okay, so data. you provide a prompt the, um, and the app that it help obviously makes it easy to do the transaction mm-hmm. or the transfer. Is that what happens through people saving digitally, I guess? So they're yes. providing a digital instruction to their bank to move money into this... So, so, Nudge savings account, is that what you That's correct. Describe? We have a standing direct debit arrangement that connects to their transaction account. Mm-hmm. So it can be with any Australian bank account with a BSB and account number mm-hmm. um, for a, a variable direct debit facility. So yeah. we can pull that money and we hold it in trust and return it for uh, spending. Now, I, I presume you use uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence to, to do the prompts. Is that a fair call? Or was yes. there, there a very busy person running through saying, oh, I better do this person now, I better do that person now. No, there's, there's no monkeys there pressing the individual buttons. Yeah. Uh, so what we do is we ask you to nominate the random, uh, the average amount that you would like to receive a nudge for. Mm-hmm. And there's a bell curve distribution that says the average amount will be the amount you choose. But to make it more interesting, sometimes it'll be three. Some, If you choose 10, it might be three, it might be seven, it might be 14. It'll average the amount you chose. The, the message is gamified around... 
what it is you've told us you're saving for. Mm -hmm. So we use travel-based prompts when you've mentioned it's a holiday. And then we're basically ingesting that data so we can learn how to optimize that to target you with a more persuasive savings offer. So normally speaking, it's a, it's a purchase offer mm -hmm. and we're using all the tricks we know from 15 years in marketing to get you to do what you know you should do but probably don't and save more money. Mm. And, and so how does, um, that sounds great for the consumer, particularly someone who's getting prompted and responding and mm -hmm. probably getting, achieving a goal that they may not have otherwise achieved without the nudge. Mm -hmm. So what's your business model? I mean, you said that you're not an ADI, so mm -hmm. how, are, yeah. how are you guys how getting remunerated? Right? <laughs> yeah. we, we have to ask that question. The perennial question, yeah, if yeah. you're helping the user and you're yep. not making money from them, how are you? How are you in business? I was asked in the early days, is Nudge a business or a charity? And I said, I don't think doing something good and making money are mutually exclusive no, propositions, not, no, no. right? So what we are working but, but on you're is- But you're also in advertising as well, aren't you? Yes. wrong with that, Andrew. We, we choose selectively who we advertise. Yeah. Yeah, good uh, <laughs> as far as Nudge goes, uh, there are non-discretionary spend categories where you are spending money regardless of what you're saving for. So mm -hmm. those are things like uh, telcos, mm -hmm. uh, utilities, groceries, mm -hmm. fuel and transport, etc. And so we're setting up partnerships with those companies to say, I mean, if you look in the market at the moment, there's a number of companies offering energy switching deals. Mm -hmm. Now they're able to do that, they provide it as a free service to you, but they get generally somewhere between 70 and $120 as a switching fee from the energy provider. So our model will be, if you choose to switch through us, there will be a revenue share arrangement where when we say save money by switching providers, you will save the money because it will go into your savings account. So that still re requires you to do effectively some selling, doesn't it? Because uh, you, you've got to build the traffic, you've got to develop the proposition, the, the customer gets something that they can utilise, mm. they get their goals. Uh, presumably you've got other ideas in terms of what other things that might be triggered through behavioural economics, but you still gotta, they still need to buy something or do some transaction for you, don't they? Ultimately, yes. And so what we've said is, if you look at most marketing and advertising, there's a degree of inefficiency in it because it's mm -hmm. trying to get people to switch their preference from one to another or from one category to another. Mm. And the savings problem is largely driven by those that are encouraging the switching towards an impulse buying scenario. Mm. So what we're saying is if we are not steering you away from your goals, um, but we're guiding you towards a purchase from a partner mm -hmm. who is essentially sponsoring your savings by contributing to it, um, then the user is monetizing their data for their own sake. Okay. Um, how do you determine when you nudge, because I'm thinking I'm a young person, it's Saturday night. You're not a young I, person. I, no, I'm, I'm pretending, I'm pretending. And I keep like, pretending. Like I'm, I'm into my fifth drink and I'm feeling great and there's a there's a woman looking at me and, I sort of, and all of a sudden you nudge me and say, hey, how about saving $20? I'm going to say, sod up. I'm, I'm committed to doing something else at the moment. Yeah, well, it could be save $20 for the date you take her on in a week's time when you've sobered up. But uh, we are using basically... At the moment, we're ingesting the data, and we will learn when we are more likely to be able to get a successful nudge from you. So we you know, different, optimize different person to person, per, person yeah. to person. So yeah. it's individualized. So machine learning says you are of this age, gender, you're in this location, and that we know that you're more likely, in particular, you on a Tuesday because you were paid on Monday to accept a prompt, and yeah. we can push it a little further. Mm. Well, really important question, and this is where you have a speciality because you are in mm. advertising. The, the, the issue I have is how easily can you explain this to your customer base? Because you know, the, the first bit is easy, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to help me save, 
But all the other stuff, because there's a whole lot of great add-ons which are mm-hmm. going to help your business. How easy is that going to be to explain to the people who download the apps? I think the core proposition of a non-bank organisation that is helping you save mm-hmm. and makes that easy, uh, I think that there's a need for that in the market yeah. and I think people will get that. They Some of them will raise the question around security in terms yeah. of where, where the funds sit, how do I get access to the funds, you know, what are you using to do the direct debits and so those questions are answered on the website and within the app information. Um, but essentially, if we strip it back, it's goal-based savings and using impulse savings prompts at the moment. And I think people understand it because the concept of impulse buying, then it's, a, it's not a knowledge gap, it's a behavioural gap, right? Like yeah. we know from a fitness perspective, we shouldn't eat the cupcake and sit on the lounge, we mm-hmm. should go for a run, but yeah. we don't follow through with the behaviours. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about financial literacy, we're trying to increase knowledge, whereas what we need to do is change behaviours. Mm-hmm. And I think most people recognise that they could be doing things better. And if somebody comes alongside and it's we're pretty transparent, there's no ulterior motive, and says, mm-hmm. we've got a way to help you do this, the mm-hmm. fitness apps have been quite successful at that. Yeah. I've always loved the quote from Chris Evert uh, when she was asked about her success in, in tennis. She said... Mm-hmm. Uh, there were times when deep down I wanted to win so badly I could actually will it to happen. I think most of my career was based on desire. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people desire the holiday. The prompts are fantastic. But do you do anything to keep reminding people that they do have, have a desire? Because if you lose the desire, that's when you stop doing the, the saving. Yeah, so we're playing around with the messaging at the moment f- between positive and gentle chiding messaging to figure out what's the most effective. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we've got the ability to assess how much others are saving uh, in relative terms. So how frequently they accept and nudge at a level they've chosen, because everyone's income is different, and to say, hey, look, you're slipping a bit behind and just apply a bit of social pressure. Uh, mm. pressure, And to optimise the messages um, with the emotive propositions that are normally used to sell, right? So yeah. there's a great quote by a guy called Rory Sutherland that said, marketers often view savings as consumerism needlessly postponed. Right? <laughs> and we're looking at going... Okay. That's deep but funny. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so we're saying at some point you're going to consume something. I'm, I'm clearly not anti-capitalist, yeah. right? Uh, but we're saying if we can guide you towards the purchases that you've decided, uh, it's better even environmentally, right? Mm. Less purchase of purchases of better quality items that last longer or experiences you want, mm. uh, then... Yeah, and we can remind people of why they're doing it with, with images, with the language. Yeah. Yeah. People want to know more. What's the website? Nudge.com.au. Funny that. Yes. Andrew Wilson, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, Paul, that's the show for today. I, I reckon we did kick some goals and give some golden tips about gold today. It was a golden goal <laughs> or golden goal we knocked over, I think, as, they, uh, as the football uh, parlance would go, a golden goal. You like yeah, that? That, that right. tops yours, I think. Yeah, I think also we should rehearse these ad-libs <laughs> going forward. But I've enjoyed every moment of it, and that's the show for this week. I look forward to getting together with you, Paul Rickard, and our listeners next week.